Lavish Grace, Ephesians 1 through 14. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, when it comes to holidays and food preparation and stuff, we kind of like to make sure we have enough. Uh, you know, so I, I, uh, I tend to get more because I like for us to be able to, I like for people to be able to enjoy a lavish time together, a lavish meal. When our, when our, and thank you, hospitality team, for last week was, again, it's like, they, they, without my authorization, without my authorization, <laughs> but out of the, uh, out of their own and the, and the other leaders in the church who basically, you know, they, they, they always, you know, as like y'all would say, they show out. <laughs> uh, they showed up and they showed out. And, uh, and it's always, our, our spreads are always lavish. When guests and visitors come to us and they don't, they're not aware of what we do, they often remark to me about how lavish, how much, how varied, how well done. And I know you can say, well, that's just food and that's just physical stuff. But you know what? If you're going to bless folks, if you're going to enjoy time together, you may as well do it right. And you may as well do it lavishly. It's better to have some food to send home with folks than to have somebody come up at the end of the line and say, well, sorry, we ain't got no more chicken. And, and what kind of church would we be if we didn't have enough chicken? I think they call it church's chicken, don't they? <laughs> but we do things lavishly. And I want to challenge your thinking about God this morning. I know that some folks in the Christian church go overboard and they think it's all about money and all about wealth and all about getting all the stuff you want. And that's not what the Bible teaches on the other hand, when we talk about the grace of God and the love of God, understand this, that God is not just doling out a little, little bit here and there and hoping that, you know, let some drops fall on you, good luck, you know, and it's like, oh, I got, you know. Listen, we're talking about a God who loves lavishly, a God who gives lavishly, a God who gives without measure, beyond our, our, our wildest imagination, a God who lavishes his grace upon us. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a lot of grace in my life. A lot of God's unmerited, unearned favor, God's blessing on my life that I don't deserve because, just because he loves me and chose to pour out his grace upon me. And so in the book of Ephesians this morning is, is, is referred to as a prison epistle, uh, along with Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, uh, because they were written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. Um, Ephesians is not so much what we call, many of the letters in the New Testament, Paul's writings are what we call occasional lit- literature in that they deal with a special occasion or a situation or a circumstance, something that's going on. First um, Corinthians is a great example of that, uh, dealing with the questions of the Corinthian church and the, the disorder in the church. But uh, in Ephesians, Paul isn't writing so much to address a crisis or problem in one of the churches, but he writes to glorify God and to orient the minds of his readers toward who they are in Christ. And uh, so there's this... Uh, family and communal church tones of this book. It's written to, to celebrate and proclaim what God has done in and through the church as Christ's body. I'm so grateful for the church. And I, I say the church. I don't just mean this church. I am certainly grateful for us and for this expression of, of Christian community. But I'm grateful for the concept of the church, the body of Christ, the people of God. And I'm so grateful and so honored and so blessed to be a part of that body, as are you. Amen? Amen. Uh, Paul doesn't write this book to address felt needs or, or, or the things that people are dealing with or feeling, but he's feeling, but he's seeking to draw attention to what God has done on our behalf. 
One writer puts it like this. He says, Ephesians is the high road of New Testament revelation, changing our perspective from that of a citizen of this world to that of a citizen of heaven. So looking at the first part of Ephesians, if you have your Bibles or, or uh, any, any, uh, your Bible app before you, looking at verse 1 and 2, this is what Paul writes. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul addresses the people as uh, God's holy people. The one word that, that, that encapsulates that idea is that of saints. Saints, right? And he addresses them as holy people, as hagias, as the saints of God, God's holy people. Now, it said this, that you can't be a believer and not be a saint, just as you can't be a saint and not be a believer. And so I often go through this drill to remind Christians that no matter where you are in your life and what you're struggling with and where you are, if you are a Christian, you are a saint, right? And so I I look upon a room of of saints before me right now. Saints are not people who are venerated in a certain movement and, and put aside because they've done so many good things. Saints are those who have been been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Saints are God's chosen people, the church, all of us. We are all saints. Amen. Amen. Can, you, can you live with that? Yes. Can you internalize it? Can you, can, you, can you really look in the mirror and say, I am a saint? <laughs> no, the devil wants to tell you, you ain't a saint. But you are. And so that's how Paul addresses the church. The church, by her very nature, is holy and set apart to God. That doesn't have to do with your experience or what, where you are in your lifestyle. But it has to do with the reality of what it means to be in Christ. One of the greatest truths that you'll ever embrace is that simple truth that we are made holy by the blood of Christ. And that holiness is a fact of our identity that should influence our lifestyle. Despite the fact that our lifestyle doesn't always reflect our sainthood. In other words... It is who we are that affects how we live. After his greeting, Paul goes on to describe what the New, the New International Version categorizes as spiritual blessings in Christ in verses 3, three through 14. And so one writer notes that these verses comprise one long, magnificent sentence in the Greek text. In other words, in the Greek text, there's this extremely long sentence that goes on and on and on. And English translators turn around and break it into separate sentences to make it a little bit more readable and more comprehensible to us. So... Beginning of verse 3, this is what he says. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Paul here is giving praise to, the, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has blessed us, that's you and me, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, I want to get your minds blown today. Some of you are old enough to remember the 60s. Uh, and the the 70s and you know people were getting into stuff psychedelic drugs LSD mind altering stuff mind bending right and so we we, we developed this 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 phrase talking about you know getting your mind blown doesn't sound very very appealing saying it like that but you know did not blow your mind this time did not no but that, that, that idea of, you know, getting one's mind blown because you're getting your mind altered, your consciousness altered. But I'm going to tell you, we need to get our minds blown today. We need to get bent, right? <laughs> Maybe more accurately, we need to get straightened out. Yes. Because we are born bent, but 
Christ straightens this out. And verse 3 is this mind-blowing text because in the midst of the struggles and the mundane routines of life, this one, this one reality stands out. And it's mind-blowing if you can ever conceive of it. And that is, that is this, that you are blessed. And you're not just a little blessed. As we celebrated Thanksgiving, I'm sure you sit around the table and you say what well, things we're thankful for. I'm thankful for this turkey I'm about to eat. I'm thankful for the roll that's, that, that, that sits beside it. I'm thankful for the dressing and the gravy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But when we, when we celebrate Thanksgiving, we, as Christians, we realize that we are not just a little blessed. We don't have just a few things to be thankful for. We, are, we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. Spiritual blessings, and the cool thing about it is that spiritual blessings are the real blessings. Spiritual blessings are the best blessings because they, 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 they not only encompass our spiritual life, but our entire life. And so in the heavenly realms, he says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. They originate and operate in the realm of the spirit. In turn, that has an impact on the physical realm. In other words, those spiritual blessings in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, they are systemic. They, they work in every aspect of our existence. These blessings are not only uh, comprehensive in that sense, not only systemic, but they are holistic. In other words, the blessings of God in Christ treat the disease, the sickness, and not just the symptoms. They get to the root of our, of our issues, of our problems. And so this verse is reminding us of of this, that we are citizens of heaven. We are blessed with literally everything we need. Can you say that? Everything we need. I want to turn to your neighbor and say, he's blessed you with everything you need. And these blessings are found in Christ. And Paul uses that term all the time in Christ. We're baptized into Christ when we become Christians. And in him we live and move and have our being. All the blessings of God that we have and that we receive are in Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And so we want to be found in Christ. Look at verse 4. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loved. Look at what it says there. First of all, he chose us. He chose us, and he chose us to be holy. He chose us to become like him. He chose us to be better than we were. He chose us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. And then secondly, he predestined us to be sons and daughters of God. In other words, he set our destination beforehand. He predestined us. Every time I get an airline ticket, guess what? I've been predestined because it's not like a, you know, a wild card ticket. Where you want to go today, you know, pilot? Uh, I like to go to Miami. He said, well, that's fine with you. That's fine, Pastor Charles. You going, we're going to go to Miami. No, they say, I want to go to Miami. He said, your ticket is for Houston. Well, that's where you're going. You've been predestined. Why did I say Houston? Why did I say Miami? We've been predestined. But there's even more. Look at verse 7. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he, here it is, he lavished on us. In him, in who? In Jesus. We have redemption. What does that term mean? It means we've been purchased from the marketplace of sin. We've been purchased from slavery, from servanthood. Through his blood and the forgiveness of, uh, that, that that blood purchased for us, we are redeemed. So you see what he says to this point? He says we are chosen. That means God selected you before you thought about him. We are predestined 
you have a ticket, and, it's a, and, it's, and, and, and the ticket is the presence of God eternal, eternally. And we are redeemed. Let me share with you a little story that, that, that illustrates the idea of redemption. Lou Johnson was a 1965 World Series hero for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He wasn't a, a great player, but he had a nice career with the Dodgers. And he had an issue because he had tried for 30 years to recover the championship ring that he lost to drug dealers in 1971. Went through a difficult period, and he, thank God, later on in his career, in his life, rather, the Dodgers um, took him back on staff and got him cleaned up, and he's, he had done well ever since. But um, drug and alcohol abuse had cost him everything from that magical season, 1965, including his uniform, his glove, and the bat that he used to hit the winning home run in the deciding game. And of course, with his ring. Isn't that some, isn't that, isn't that how sin works in our lives? Isn't that how addiction can work in our lives, if unchecked? So he lost everything. And so what happened was the Dodgers president, Bob Graziano, had learned that his World Series ring was about to be auctioned on the Internet. He immediately wrote a check for $3,457 and bought the ring before any bids were posted. You see, that? that's redemption, because he did for Johnson what the former Dodger outfielder was unable to do for himself. That's like me getting your stuff out the pawn shop for you. God has done for us what we're unable to do for ourselves. He redeems us and makes us the recipient of his lavish and amazing grace. Notice that this redemption is in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It's really all about grace. Never as Christians can we come from the standpoint of, hey, you know what, I've been pretty good. I'm doing really good, God. You know, I deserve this. No, it's all in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished. Again, there it is. He bestowed on us freely. He emptied out or poured out on us, right? Did you know that we as Christians are rich beyond measure? He says in accordance with the riches of God's grace that we've been, in, in accordance with that, that we've been chosen, predestined, and redeemed in all wisdom and understanding. And see, those words are buzzwords for those oriented in Paul's audience towards Greek philosophy, towards the idea of the pursuit of, of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says, I'll show you wisdom and understanding beyond what you're looking for in your philosophical systems. And so God, his wisdom says this to us, that he chooses, that he predestines, and that he redeems Gentiles, regular folks, not Jewish, just all kinds of people, according to the riches of his grace. We have a wealth that is beyond measure, and we have a wealth that can't diminish, unlike things like the stock market. I know certain folks are bragging on the fact that the stock, stock market is raging right now. Was it the Dow was, what, 23,000 or something like that? But you know what? You know if you don't. You know it never lasts. Remember 2008, 2009? Some of you had, had some uh, 401Ks, right? I remember back in, in 2009, there was a head, head, uh, head, uh, headline that said this. More than $300 trillion was erased from global equity markets in 2008. But we have a wealth that is not subject to being diminished like the stock market. The riches of God's grace cannot be erased. They cannot be devalued. They cannot evaporate. You get what I'm saying? That's why Jesus says don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where, where, where they're subject to decay, things like clothes and cars and houses and, and all that stuff. They all, I don't care what kind of car it is, it's, they're all going to end up in the, in the junk heap. 
unless it's so cool that it becomes a collector's item. But even then, at the end of everything, you know all of this, everything burns. He says, lay your treasures up in heaven where what you have, the riches you have, are safe. You've been given riches, and you're, you're, you're kind of investing into those riches. But don't worry about the stuff here. I mean, you need the stuff, regular stuff to live. That's fine. But, but understand this, that the treasures to really be concerned about are the ones that are not subject to decay. Peter put it like this in 1 Corinthians 1, 3-5. 1 Peter, rather, 1, 3-5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. There it is, right? He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The riches of God's grace provide for you and I an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He lavished it on us. You got to get that. He lavished it on us. See, some of us feel that as though God's barely got enough grace to go around. Some folks feel as though they're, 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 I'm going to make it into the kingdom by the skin of my teeth because there's, very, just, just, there's enough, enough grace just maybe to help me get in there, but, but, th- but there's really not that much. Some of us feel as though uh, we're on this continual probation and God is always, you know, he hasn't really made up his mind about you yet. We have to somehow convince God that we're okay that, and we're going to try harder and, and prove to God that we really should belong in his kingdom. But don't you see what he's saying there? Grace, is, grace has been lavished on you. You're not trying to earn his, his approval. You're not trying to earn his favor. It's been poured out on you. It's been given to you in abundance. It's been abundantly bestowed. Any of y'all ever been to Ni- Niagara Falls? Uh, th- nobody in this room been there? Oh, I, I, I should have known. <laughs> anybody been to, uh, okay, you too, okay. Has anybody been to the, the, the pyramids in Egypt? <laughs> oh, I got you. <laughs> but, and I've never been to Niagara Falls, but... But you know the picture, and you know the, the imagery of, of, of this, these incredible waterfalls and this incredible amount of... I did hear a story about a, a woman who went over the, in, uh, Niagara Falls in a barrel. It was interesting. Uh, crazy woman. But, but you get the picture. As, uh, uh, there's no shortage of water in Niagara Falls. You know. It's amazing. So the water is just, just being poured over the, the side of this mountain, uh, poured out like Niagara Falls. Uh, you see the difference. It's, it's, it's between this. If, what if you came to church, and I remember when I... When I uh, preached this message before, I, I, I used an illustration, and I tried not to use uh, the movie Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> uh, because probably half, two-thirds of you never seen it. And, uh, but uh, there was a scene where he worked at this farm with chickens, right? And uh, so then they have lunch, and they have this, they're sitting outside at a, a folding table with flies, and they, they have some orange juice, and they crack raw eggs because they're doing, dealing with chickens with raw eggs into the orange juice and they have these 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 white bread sandwiches that look like there's nothing in them and it, with flies on them and that's lunch and that's and then a bunch of hard-boiled eggs on a plate that's lunch and you know and uh see you, you know how it is you ever been somewhere and they say we're gonna have food for y'all and it's like as a musician you ever, you know how it is when you, there's, there's a green room and like what's in there there's some bags of chips you know what i'm talking about yeah you, you, you know about the green room <laughs> And sometimes it's like, okay, y'all don't care. You know, if you have a good writer, you tell them what you want in the green room, you know. Los Lobos says no Mexican food. Because, <laughs> <'Cause, 
<laughs> you know, uh, you know, you know. So, but 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 sometimes people are stingy. You know, when they say we, we're gonna we're gonna have a refreshment after the service, right? And then we have like and and, and like like last week, you see, they go and they had some red punch and they have some 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 stale cookies and uh, and maybe why do you why did you say yeah? You like stale cookies? <laughs> I like any kind of cookie. <laughs> But you know what it's like when you when you're hungry. I remember being on this on this this trip once, and we were up in the Bay Area. This was years and years ago, and it's like I just remember you would be surprised. A preacher getting getting, I mean, we had getting burnt out on chicken. We we had played like these. We were playing these churches, and and every time we played, when they gave us churches fried chicken, different. I don't know. Is that there was some conspiracy or whatever? And I was tired of churches fried chicken. I don't like churches fried chicken. But you know, we're gonna feed. And it's like nothing, a little, little lunch is to be provided, and it's like a little, you know, a little, a little snack. See, and not some of the ways, some of you think about God's grace like that. It's like it's just a little enough, to, just enough to get you by, enough to kind of keep you going, enough to just, you know, kind of tide you over, enough to where you always be wondering, always, you know, the idea of always wondering and always hoping that there'll be enough, that you'll make it in, that God will love you enough to get you through. But he says he lavished it on us. It's not like, that other kind of meal, it's not like the green room where they put some, some, a couple bags of chips and some bottles of water in there. It's like coming to a church last Sunday like this, and they're celebrating church anniversary, and you walk back there, and it is a variable cor- cornucopia of, of Epicurean delights. And it's enough for everybody. There's a lot of stuff. And, and everybody eats till they're full. And everybody's satisfied and happy. And we throw all the trash away. And we're grateful. And we can feed anybody that comes to us. Anybody that walks up in here. When we do outreach, we try to have enough that we can feed, you know, 100 folks or something. Because whoever walks up on the parking lot gets fed. And that's the way God's grace is. It's lavished on us. It's poured on us. Again, you feel as though you're always on probation. But no. I like lavish buffets. But not because I just like to eat a lot. Because I'm cool with that. You know, I'm, I'm, I've kind of worked that part of my, my, my life out. I, 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 that's under control. But I like variety. And I like abundance. And I like things that are not, I don't, I, I like when, when you have the opportunity to eat more than just one dish. And so my wife sometimes doesn't like buffets as much as I do. And really, I've definitely outgrown the hometown buffet. <laughs> About 20 years ago. But I do like it when you could go somewhere and there's a variety, there's a spread. It says something about abundance and about, 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 uh, about generosity and liberality. And it's like choices. God has put a banquet before us and spread a table before us. And he hasn't, doesn't say, and, and you know what? It, it, we're, we're promised something. You ever heard of the marriage supper of the Lamb? Who do you think? I mean, Cheryl may be catering that. Some of you, when you think of that kind of provision, you think, wow, isn't that kind of wasteful? You know, why? I, and I tell you this all the time, when I was growing up, real, real saved saints, I would hear in church, about, that's all they do at the church is eat. Well, you can eat at the church, you go home and eat by yourself, looking at a little black and white TV, you know. What's wrong with that? If you think it's wasteful, I'll remind you of a story. There's a story in Luke 15 of a guy called the prodigal son. Remember him? Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, a, a more parsimonious or stingy res- response to his return from his wanderings in, in the wilderness, so to speak, would be, good to have you back. Let's get, have some egg sandwiches at 8 o'clock and go to sleep. You know, 
He'd known deprivation, and the King James says he fain would have filled his belly with the husk that the, 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 that the hogs ate. And so, you know, you, yeah, you could say, well, for economy's sake and to be, you know, to be not wasteful, then, you know, you, you're coming back home, fine. Here's a, here's a chicken leg going in there and sit down somewhere. <laughs> but when he comes to his senses and when he returns home, this is how his father responds. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, like right there with the but, because for some of us, said, you know, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. For some of us, have been, yeah, you're really not. And so we're going to see how you do. So go on there. Here's the chicken leg. Go on in there and mind your own business. Shut up. Here's a sandwich. Go sit down somewhere. But the father said to his servants, this is lavish grace right here. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on Put a ring on his finger. He said, we don't need no ring. You are, you are a prodigal son. Come home. You didn't need to go over there and sit down and shut up. No, he says, bring, bring the best robe for him. See, that goes against our humanity. We think we, we, we need, you should let him earn his way back in. Bring a, the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Look at this. This is what I like. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Calf is saying, that's okay. No, no, no. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what grace does. Grace celebrates when sinners come home. Grace celebrates when people repent. Grace celebrates the blessings of God in our lives. Grace celebrates. Grace is lavish. He lavished his love on his son. He didn't hold back. He demonstrated by the embracing, by the kissing. He lavishes his love on his son as they feast and celebrate. And God has lavished His grace on us. He extends to us not just a little grace, not just enough to get by, but abundant grace, lavish grace. It's nothing that you will face in life that is beyond the ability of God's grace to sustain you through. There's no devil in hell that can stop you from making it to the place that God has for you unless you succumb to the lie of the enemy because we've been given lavish grace, abundant grace. It's described by Jesus in John 10, 10, where he says the thief comes to kill, to steal and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it to the full. Life more abundantly. We as human beings struggle with issues of significance. But one of the things we need to do is humble ourselves and begin to reach out for God and realize that it is He who is our significance. It is in Him that we find significance. He is our shield. He is our glory. He is the lifter of our heads. Look at verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with, in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. They reiterate some of what he said before, and he talks about the, the Jew and Gentile distinction here. He says, uh, we were chosen having been a, a predestined according to his plan, who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we, he says, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And he says, All, you also were included in Christ, the, the Gentiles. Those those." those those Jewish believers who were the first ones to come, they were 
to the cross. They were to the glory and honor of God, but, but God also brought you all in, all of us, Jew and Gentile. And he says, when you, were, when you believed, you were marked by him with a seal. And that seal is the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit indwelling you, God's Spirit, is that seal upon your life. You know, I know that everybody, there's, there's a lot of seals that go on now that people get tattoos, you know. But I'm talking about a real seal that's been, you've been marked with in a way beyond that. Because that skin's going to die. But we've been marked with a seal verifying the fact that we are God's property. It's time to elevate our minds, realize who we are and what we've been given. We are the church of God. We are the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. We've been chosen, predestined, redeemed like that ring bought out of, the, out of the marketplace. God has lavished his grace on us that we should be, that we should exist, if you will, to the praise of his glory. And after we've come to, to grips with the grace that's been lavished on us, let's lavish that grace on other people. Sometimes you know how we can be. I've been to the, I've been to the brunch, the buffet, but you going to McDonald's. I've been... I've been given a whole lot, but I'm going to watch you to see if you're worthy of the same thing I've been given, to see if you're worthy to receive what I got. But we as Christians need to open our hearts and lavish his grace on others. Let's live as Christians with boldness, with courage, with faith, knowing that we've been given everything we need in Christ. And let's dare to come boldly to the throne of grace, as Hebrews 4 says, to obtain mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need, because grace is lavishly available to us. It's been given to us and poured out on us. We're not loved just a little bit. We're loved a lot. We're not loved just a little bit. We're loved lavishly. Amen.